Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people to dreams to adult people living those dreams or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Martin Urbano is a comedian who grew up in southern Texas on the border with Mexico, but he's based now in New York City, where he has found much of his success since being named a new face for Montreal's Just for Laughs Festival in 2017. That includes performances on Jimmy Kimmel Live and the CW's annual Howie Mandel Gala, as well as Will Smith's comedy showcase for Roku, This Joka. Urbano is part of the 2019 revival of National Lampoon Radio Hour, the podcast, and has written for both The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, as well as Danny's House on Viceland. He also has hosted such projects as Comedy Amateur Class for Chris Gethard Presents, and his own brands of game shows, Who Wants $2.69? And Why Would You Ask Me That? His latest gambit is an apology comeback tour, where he somehow manages to cancel and redeem himself on stage within the same hour of jokes. He's taken the show to the Edinburgh Fringe in 2023, but before that, he sat down with me to talk about his life and the state of comedy today. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Martin Urbano, thank, Hello. You, so- <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on... On short notice in the park. Thanks for having me. But uh, I wanted to catch you before you jet off to Montreal and then Edinburgh. Yeah. First of all, last things first, how does it feel to be going back to Just for Laughs? You've been uh, there before as a new face. What's it like going back as a less than new face? First of all, first of all, I think it's funny. I just want to say that uh, I asked if you wanted to grab coffee and said, do you want to do a podcast? <laughs> so this is our this is our coffee for the record. Uh, I had been wanting to go back for so long. You know, you, you want to go back. You want to mm-hmm. feel like you're doing something good, that they made the right choice, making you a new face. So, you know, just six years later, it finally happened, and I'm, I'm happy to be doing it. Does it matter that uh, there's not a uh, televised gala for the CW attached to it? It's for Canadian TV, which is, you know, maybe has the same amount of viewers as the <laughs> CW did. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, have, I do also have to say right off the bat that, you know, the show that you're preparing and taking to the Fringe, which I go back and forth between wanting to call it the Comeback Apology Tour and the Apology Comeback Tour. With that inflection, too? <laughs> yes. <laughs> apology Comeback, because that is an apology, right? Apology uh, Comeback. But, you know, as someone who's branded himself as the Comics Comic, your <laughs> style of comedy definitely fits into my wheelhouse mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in terms of comedy that makes fun of comedy or the state of comedy. Yeah. I have to imagine that wasn't something that you started out with when you were in Texas, was it? You think so? Or well, did you start did you start out as a sincere just set up joke? No, no, yeah, I'm, I well Yes and no. Like, I think I realized that I was always making fun of comedy because I just, like, listen to so much of it. That's just how my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just hear the same setups over and over. And I'd be like, okay, what if I use that setup but then t- took it dark or weird or whatever? Uh, and then my definition of what, you know, quote-unquote hacky comedy or bad comedy uh, changed over time into what it is now, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so what were you like 
Well, first off, so you're from Brownsville, yes. Texas. Yes. Do you still have family friends there? Oh, yeah. 98% of my family still lives in Brownsville, Texas. So how do they feel about Elon Musk and his living in the rocket debris zone? Yeah, he, he blew up a rocket over, <laughs> over my town, which I shout out, you know, I respect. <laughs> You know, that's a, bold, that's a bold move. I wanted to be the first guy to blow up a rocket over my hometown, but, you know, shout out to Elon. Um, I don't know. Yeah, they say SpaceX has, has made things weird there. A lot of white people in a town <laughs> that used to be 96% Latino. Right, because it's on the border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But was there actual, I mean, was your family or friends Not directly to- impacted by the explosion and the debris field and all that? No, no debris field, but uh, they def- everybody heard it. Mm-hmm. Like the windows shook. And they could see it in the sky. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't really care. <laughs> I don't live there anymore. Right. But like, you, are you still alive? Okay, cool. What else is new? What else is going on? I, I bring it up, one, because it's a fun fact. Uh, emphasis on fact, not fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also because you were also part of the Austin comedy scene before it became something else. Yes. Slash Elon Musk, Joe Rogan. Right. And... And I was all a pre-Joe. Yeah, you were a pre-Joe. Pre, Pre-Joe Rowe. Yeah, so tell me what the Austin comedy scene was like when you were there in the early 20 teens. It was a magical land. No, I, I don't know. The audiences were cool. Austin had this really weird thing where comedians just wouldn't leave. Uh, like, we had a couple. The, mm-hmm. the, the This is my, you know, from living there perspective of it. It was like somebody would win the contest, the funniest person in Austin contest. They'd stay there for a year. They they do new faces typically because we would get some new face, uh, some JFL bookers down mm-hmm. in Austin for the contest. Um, I don't know if uh, Jeff Singer I think would show up. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Jeff Singer, former booker of Just for Laughs right. uh, comedy and uh, current just cool dude. I think um, I don't know, uh, but anyway, <laughs> that's what that's probably what Martin, Martin Urbano in his <laughs> apology come back to her. <laughs> ah, he booked me. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, they, they would they would do new faces, stay there for a year, mm-hmm. and then they'd eventually move to L.A. And that happened maybe two times, maybe three. Right. And then I don't think any of those people who had moved since then have continued to do stand-up comedy in the very literal sense of stand-up. Um, a very funny guy, Ramin Nazer. Yeah, I was going to mention Ramin, uh, Lucas, yeah. Melendez. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, right, uh, it seemed like there were people... Yeah. There was enough, and, yeah, there was enough of a scene there where people just used that as a home base and maybe they went on the road. Kind of. There were definitely people who were doing that, but I just find it very weird that a lot of other scenes, especially Chicago and mm-hmm. Denver and stuff like that, they would move to L.A. or New York and then there would be a branch there, you know, some sort of like thread, a connection to be like, OK, that's the path. That's what the local comedians could look to to be like, that's the way to do it. But then there just became, I don't know, like, not until, like, I moved and, like, uh, Maggie May, mm-hmm. Dev, when Devin moved, you know, now he's on, you know, Andrew moved to L.A. right before getting right, SNL. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, but then, so there just suddenly became a big, you know, moment where everybody was moving there. And now, I don't know, now Austin's weird. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> But what was you, what was your goal when you went to Austin? Was it just this is this is the big scene? If no. I'm moving from Brownsville, no. Well, I mean, it was bigger than Brownsville, of course. Right. And so I you're heard, like, where am I going to go? 
Austin. I heard on a pod on a podcast, mm-hmm. Pat Oswalt was naming good comedy. I think it was on You Made It Weird. Okay, with Pete Holmes. With Pete, <laughs> with Pete Holmes, uh, he said that Austin was a good stand-up comedy town. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I registered that, and then Mike Kaplan. I, I can't. I, I got to talk to him about it. I can't remember if I've told him already, but I went and I watched the last Comic Standing tour. Whenever oh. he, it was him, Roy Wood Jr., right, uh, Mike, Mike DiStefano, um, Tommy John again, Tommy John, and Felipe Esparza. Felipe Esparza, that's yeah. right. And I saw that tour. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where'd yeah. you see that? Uh, here in New York. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a, it was a good show. Yeah. I like. I like a nice variety of, of comedy. No, I thought in, in terms of top fives, that was a. It was a good. It was a solid top five. It was five a solid top five. Lo- like all of them. Yeah. Uh, and they were all super nice. Mike was super duper nice afterwards. Um, both uh, Stefano and uh, um, Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Uh, super nice. Roy Wood Jr. was the one who like told. I, I was like, ah, yeah, okay. I'm, you know, like, that's how I sounded. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm trying to do stand up comedy. How do I do? He's like, ah, oh, well, I saw him in McAllen, Texas. Okay. He's like, oh, there's a guy in here named Mario Superstar Salazar. Reach out to him. I'll, I'll, I was like, okay, okay, thank you. And then that's the guy. That's the first guy to put me on stage. Mario Superstar. Nice. I just bumped into him at the airport the other day for the first time in like years and years. It was, it was nice. Um, anyway, and so Mike Kaplan mm-hmm. was like, oh yeah. I was like, oh, of course, just my comedy. He's like, email me. I'm like, okay. So I emailed him, and he sent back just such a long, in-depth reply. I'm like, I was like, oh, what do I do? How do I do? And he's like. And Austin was a place that he mentioned, too. So I'm like, okay, two people said Austin. That seems like a good place to go. But I always was like, and then at L.A. or New York after, once I get once I get better at stand-up, once right. I get good. But I get the sense that when you were there, mm. it was definitely a place where, it was definitely a time and a place when the Austin comedy scene was keeping it weird. <laughs> yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. of, I think because it I was. I think it's weirder now. But in a different sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, just in terms of the types of comedy you could do. Because you weren't in the New York, L.A., Chicago. But no, but I think that's... Belt. You could do different things. Why, why do you think experiment. you could do that here? Or there? I feel like the, I feel like it was a, a, a mo- different moments of comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, different when Nerd Melt was a thing and when, okay. like... You know, the Meltdown was a show right. there, and then Whiplash on a Monday night at midnight, you know, at the UCB, mm-hmm. line around the block, you know, Night Train in Brooklyn on also on Monday, Whip, uh, uh, Knitting Factory on Sundays. It's like, right, there was the weird styles the di- of comedy. There was more variety, I think, as well, far I guess, as people uh, doing straight stand-up, confessional stuff, and then yeah. like weirder, one-linery <laughs> kind of things like that. I guess the difference being that if you're doing Whiplash or Knitting, or like Hannibal's show at the Knitting Factory... Mm-hmm. There was a good chance that there would be industry there. Okay. Whereas yeah. if you're doing Cap City or Velveeta Room, there's no industry there when it's not when you? it's out, when it's not South by when it's not South by or yeah, Moon yeah, Tower yeah. or there's the funniest not, person Austin contest. Yeah. The semifinals round would be judged by like people. I, who would, I judge who funniest person sometimes. Oh, yeah? yeah. Did you see me? Ever? No, I was on either side of your tenure there. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. 2017 and then 2009. Oh, were the yeah. two times I judged the finals. On the other sides of it. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. I moved here in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but were you doing the style of comedy you do now? Were you doing that in Austin? Yes. But again, my, my definition of what I was, for lack of a better word, lampooning mm-hmm. was um, um, 
a little bit more broad and basic as, to, as far as like what I thought was you know quote unquote bad comedy hacky comedy over used premises that I could turn right. you know dark and weird kind of like your Jimmy Kimmel set right yes basically yeah yeah, yeah. that was that's a good example of what I had been working on like for, for the last like year I was in Austin I was basically working on that set mm-hmm. a rough draft of that and then when I moved here I thought of that um joke where you can't tell you can't tell what race i am or whatever um because in texas everybody knew i was mexican but as soon as i got here everybody's like what are you i'm like all right tom takar i just remember him saying that you know it's like because the artist formerly known known as tom brady that's right i i think i met him right as he was changing right right as he changed his name but um but it's because tom would also get that a lot too but and i noticed it getting more and more um and so I wrote that bit, and with mm-hmm. that, I was like, "Oh, now I have the perfect like." And so I just ground that set for one year, um, and yeah, yeah. I always keep coming back to the idea of. I mean, one of the debates. I'm sure you know this because of the kind of comedy you do, but one of the debates that, that gets tossed around a lot is whether a comedian is being sincere when they make really offensive jokes, uh-huh. or when it's just part of the act. And a lot of comedians want to have it both ways, but can't pull it off. What do you mean? Give me some examples. <laughs> Name names. <laughs> when when comedians are being like transphobic or racist, and then and then they Allegedly. get acu- and then they get well, they are doing that. Yeah. But then when they get acute, when they get called out on it, they go, "Well, I'm just making. Yeah. Jo- I don't really think this. I'm just making jokes." But because of everything they say when they're off stage, you don't. It's it's really hard to tell, unless you're say Anthony Jeselnik, or Martin Urbano. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. How have you wrestled with that as a comedian? It, it's frustrating, and I try to take all my frustrations and turn it into the thing that I do on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, because talking about it, uh, it, it doesn't really solve anything or get anywhere. But I hope that by making fun of it on stage in a very silly way I can say my piece if that makes sense right. I, I, I think I I know exactly what you mean people do that shit all the time it's so annoying um, and you know first and foremost I think it's just annoying when people are like take everything that everybody says on stage as, as at face value I'm like that's annoying first of all like there are people lying on every side it's scripted right Let's get into it. I was watching Aziz Ansari's special, mm-hmm. the Right Now, you know that one? His, his apology comeback show? Yeah. And I was just like, it's so weird. He rehearsed this on the road, but he's like pretending like it's like genuine. He's saying it for the first time, like yeah. ever. And I'm just like, this is sick. Like, this is an, like, he's like pretending to laugh and pretending to be, well, I just felt mad because I don't know. And it's like, sure, maybe there's some sort of meaning behind it. I don't know. But right. I just feel like there's something there that the audience is always going to be just like, wow, he's really like saying this for the first time. And it's like really genuine. I'm like, no, these we're all maniacs. We say our same thing over and over again for night after night, like months right. and months. We tweak it. Especially we tweak it and be like, oh, maybe it should be more sincere here. You know, it's like. Especially if you're filming a special. You've been yeah, developing that yeah, for a year. Exactly. It's, I don't know. It freaks me out. Uh, it freaks me out that how, how much people are trusting and how much people are uh, lying. Right. Um, so then there's that. And then, of course, there's also the thing of, of comedians um, wanting to be like, oh, I had a twinkle in my eye or whatever when mm-hmm. I was saying it. And it's like. I don't know. Chappelle, like, 
stop doing comedy because he's like, I heard, I heard the laughs and I didn't like them. And then it's like, oh, now you let her hear these laughs and like them? Like, you think the audience is like smart now? No. Yeah, I anyway. I don't know what happened to Dave, and I've this tried is to be to, the end of my career. I've tried to figure out what happened in in those years that made him completely flip from the person that he was then. Uh, I think it's uh, um, money, <laughs> which he had plenty of then. But I think you know, just money, the more you fame. Have it. Well, another thing that happens with with those individuals is they get surrounded by people. They get in their own bubbles. Of course. Yeah. When you're hanging out with, like, Elon Musk, it's like, are you really, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, when he on? brought Elon out at a show in San Francisco and Elon got booed and yeah. then Dave was surprised. <laughs> yeah, guys, stop booing my friend Elon Musk. <laughs> but then, of course, I mean, it, it runs the gamut from comedians who are going on Netflix and saying they're not allowed to say things oh, yeah. anymore oh, when they got paid yeah. by Netflix to say that. I don't get how... I don't get how everybody's not furious at these people to be like you're a millionaire complaining that you can't say anything in your special of three specials that you have a a deal with like Mm -hmm. i don't know how everyone isn't just like pulling their hair out but you're right that it that the whole lying thing or exaggeration goes to even the littlest things of uh i saw this last week and you're like you've been seeing this last week for (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and that's why i like i and that's why i kind of do the style i I'm, that I'm doing it in is because I'm like it's so weird to I don't know. Well, I, don't know. I, I wonder how much this this being us talking on podcast, yeah, how much this has has uh, impacted the, that particular problem. Oh, because people develop parasocial relationships with sure. comedians via podcasts, and so they think that they know them. Yeah. Especially in the podcast where people, where the comedians are vulnerable, and they're talking about their everyday lives in the podcast, but then they go on stage, and they're not that person. Uh-huh. They're back to the comedian, and the audience can't rationalize the difference between the two. Interesting. So if you're vulnerable on this podcast, uh-huh. and then you're on stage being an ass, people are like, what, what happened to that guy? <laughs> I, I, or is he both guys? I don't. I think it is maybe even more helpful to. He's not wearing a disguise. Or he's not dressed up in character. Stuff, yeah. stuff that like in that vein. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just also think people. I can lie here too. Mm-hmm. I can say whatever I want. I have my own, you know, agenda and feelings about things. And if I wanted to portray myself as, you know, it's like I don't know. But this episode is brought to you by Snopes.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be a great sponsorship. Debunking uh, everything Mark Trapano just said. I, I, I think it's, I don't know, it's different because I'm not, I don't have a podcast. Mm-hmm. But there are people who have right. podcasts and then they have their fan base and then they're going on every week. And it's like they bring a story to the podcast. And in that story, they're always going to be the good guy. You know? So mm-hmm. I'm like, and then people are like, oh, this person's a good guy. This person's a good guy. So then they go on stage and they're not necessarily saying, I'm freaking out right now. There's a giant bug. Um, also, uh, uh, I, I, t- I talk, I talk big, uh, big stuff, but then I get scared of bugs. You know, what do I know? <laughs> I'm scared of a big bug. Um, How important was uh, getting in in line with uh, Chris Gethard's crew? It was all part of my plan. <laughs> See, first, did you have a plan when you moved here? When you moved to New York from Austin? Actually, I did. My plan was it was a very vague plan, but it was. Um, a three-year plan. Mm-hmm. First year, I was just going to eat shit. 
just eat complete shit for one year, and I had to be okay with that. Are two, you lying? Or are you truthful? This is this was my plan. Okay. Year two, mm-hmm. uh, shitty bar shows. I better be like doing shitty bar shows at that time, and it's gonna suck. But they're gonna be at least I'm getting booked for stuff, getting some notice. And year three, stuff better start working out. And if it doesn't by the end of that, I have to rethink things. But that was my three year plan. Okay. I move here instantly, get uh, new faces and and, and Kimmel. <laughs> so you know. But so at least I was prepared for you know. So shit. did you eat shit later? Oh yes. Okay. And then I did. I mean, so you well, just not, did it out of order. Not shit in the way that I expected, mm-hmm. but shit as far as like you get a high, and then you sink down to like some lower points, and you're just like, oh, shit's just not working out. I see other people who leveraged the stuff that I did get into bigger and better things, and now they're like doing, you know, you know, I was new faces with. I was telling you, you know, Taylor Tomlinson, Sam J, James Austin Johnson. Uh, unwrapped was uh, uh, I think I think Andrew Dismix was I think Andrew was unwrapped. Right. I think Stephen Castillo was unwrapped. Um, they got a writer. You know, they became writers for SNL. Um, but I think, was, I think Rami was on my new faces year. Maybe. You know, so I'm like, you but, look at all these people getting these things, and you're just like, hmm, and I'm still working at the right, fucking those, moving company. But those people wanted to be on sitcoms or sketch shows. Did, is that something that you wanted? At yes. That? Oh. Of course. <laughs> I wanted to, I, uh, in fact, I probably wanted to do the most at that time. Like, okay. I would have been, like, happy doing anything at that time. And now I've narrowed it down a little bit, which is maybe better for what I do. Mm-hmm. I've I've honed in on the things that I think I'd be good at and want to do right. and excite me. And, and that's probably better for, for what I do. But, but I bring up Chris Gethard because... Oh, yeah. You know, when Chris stopped doing his show, he then decided to turn it over to people that he enjoyed. And you were one of those people. Mm -hmm. And so you got to do like the comedy amateur class, which is a spoof of master class, which kind of falls in line with this comeback apology tour character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. where, Where you're like, I'm doing comedy, but I'm doing comedy about the idea of comedy. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, just a very wide market. <laughs> it's a very easily marketable idea. Um, I, I, I was happy with that. I, I mm-hmm. think I definitely like honed in on some on some things there. Um, yeah, Chris has been wonderful to me. Um, but I, I, really, what it's what happened was, well, I did I, on my Kimmel set. I had a pedophile joke, mm-hmm. or like I said, I call myself a sex offender, and I thought that was like so funny and so interesting. And then in, I would take I took a bunch of meetings right mm-hmm. after that. Right, right after New Faces and My Kimmel came out. Because <laughs> sex offenders like, are big in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also something I learned later. Or, or like, started to was realize. That, oh, that was also the same right around the time that the Me Too stuff. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this is, so it all just right, started to culminate where it was like. It End was of like, the summer, beginning of the fall, 2017. Yes. That's when Me Too blew yes. up. Yes. So I'm in these meetings and, mm-hmm. and like, people are like, oh, we really liked your Kimmel set. Um uh, we like that bit about how you can't tell what race you are. Mm-hmm. Let's make a whole show about that. I'm like, mm, that's stupid, and I hate that. I feel like I said everything I needed to in the, in that one minute bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't it cool? I call myself a pedophile, though. And they're like, oh yeah, the Mad Libs. Uh, yeah, Mad Libs are cute. Anyway, uh, so I was like, you know how you say your mom's a Virgin Mary candle? What if we made a whole show about that? <laughs> like, this is you guys are stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the, this is the worst. And then the Me Too movement happened, and then, and you know, and I was uh, like, like all men, scared, terrified. No, I was, uh, I was just like, okay. And that, but I noticed, 
so many comics were doing this, like, I'm scared to even, you know, sneeze around a woman. Right. Oh, I'm scared to. <laughs> and I was like, I heard it over and over. And I'm like, well, my brain, making fun of what I consider to be bad comedy, I latched onto that. And I was like, surely uh, more comedians will figure this out. I, I've, I filmed a Comedy Central thing, digital, in like 2018, mm-hmm. September 11th, 2018. Because I've worked with some Me Too jokes, mm-hmm. and I won't. Uh, it was some Me Too jokes, um, and I was like, okay, these are probably going to spoil soon. Let me try to get them on tape right now. And then they were like, it's not going to come out till February of next year, of 2019. I was like, uh, uh, they're going to age like milk then. <laughs> Everyone's going to have seen through all these guys who are saying that. And then that came out, and it was still fucking fresh. Like, nobody else had Me Too jokes that were in that vein mm-hmm. except Sam Marill. Me and Sam Marill. One time we passed each other, and we were just like, Hey, uh, I like your Me Too jokes. He's like, I like your Me Too jokes. I'm like, yeah, great. Um, what does that say about about the state of comedy, though? That I don't know. What do you think it says? That even now, like, I think only now it's starting to get like a little stale, and I'm kind of mm-hmm. happy to be like, well, I've been working on it so long. Let me present what I have and and tape it, and then release it, and then move on. I guess a- a- as soon. I guess my my sense is that. Comedians want to be thought of as edgy without actually being edgy. Ooh, elaborate. We were just talking about comedians saying you can't say anything. Yeah. But they're not really saying anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're, not really, they're not really saying anything they can't say. And when they do, it's all always the same three things. They're not really exploring... The, they're not really busting the envelope, right? <laughs> they're just they're just doing the same rubber stamp thing that they they read out of the edgy playbook. Here, here's actually here's what I think how this happens. I've I've been pondering it lately. Mm-hmm. Comedians end up in these more liberal circles because we're in the we're in the arts as much mm-hmm. as some people think it's not an art, but don't think it's an art. Whatever, that's a whole other conversation. But they are in these art bubbles so to them they're like oh i'm actually being edgy and like uh, uh, against the grain here when i'm surrounded by all these people who are all thinking the same thing and all right. this but then that's like such a small sliver of all of the country in the world and everybody else is like yeah no we don't think uh, we don't we don't think that in fact <laughs> you know like, we, most of us aren't in a writer's room right, exactly yeah, yeah we're not all you know at the uh, in, do comedy in Brooklyn, you know, so it's like it feels so edgy, but really most people agree with them, and right. I don't know. It's the idea that these people are kind of shouting into a void because they think that that's what's going to earn them money. And it does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's fascinating to see someone, to see people, like, lean into this thing, and I don't know if they believed it before, or if they just saw that this was the path that is my big question especially with like that guy in particular Mm -hmm. and i'll just say his name louis ck (laughs) no Um, (laughs) but i uh i didn't know he was at the cellar uh yeah that that's my my no way good good for him uh who recommended him (laughs) woody uh, allen uh yeah yeah uh yeah with him in particular and people Mm -hmm. like that i'm like how much how much do they believe it I think it's got to be a little. I don't think you can just like fully, completely lie and be this like complete character because to be that aware, you just you have to believe it in some capacity, right? And then you just have to ignore the parts that would make you not believe it, but you willfully ignore. 
Unless, think, right? unless you get to a point where well, I've never been radicalized before, so I yeah. can't speak from personal experience. But I guess if you're if you're backed into a corner financially, maybe you see this as your only way out. I've been backed into a corner financially more times than I can count. Mm-hmm. Granted, I can't count that high because I'm stupid. I didn't go to college, but. Uh, I, and I've, I and here's the thing. I have thought about it. Mm-hmm. I was like, what if I just like went like with this character, but like did a couple tweaks and was pandering to a, for lack of a better word, alt right crowd. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm just, right. I don't want to pull I'm, the trigger because I'm, I'm like, what's I'm doing the point this, but without of that? The I'm irony. Well, I might exactly. I'm like, I could make money, and I know I could if I I can see the path to doing that. But I'm like. At that point, let me just, like, go back to school and become a fucking, like, whatever. You know, like, I, I, what, what's the point of doing something that I truly don't believe in in that way? Right. I mean, there were there were comedians or comedic actors who showed up at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Yeah, who, who, did, who did again? Who were the names? <laughs> well, one was Jay Johnston. Oh, that's right. From Mr. Show yeah, yeah, and yeah. Other, other shows. Not Bob's named Mr. Burgers. Show. Yeah, Bob's Jew. G- <laughs> I mean, it's ironic slash not ironic that he's the bad guy in Bob's Burgers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But obviously, like, people do get radicalized to the point of taking it off stage. Yeah. So, but not the folks of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he is good. <laughs> Segways uh, are not just for riding off cliffs. They're also for conversational cliffs. There you go. Yeah. So you were part of the revival of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. It's so funny. Yeah, I forgot. I always forget about it. With that. an eclectic, talented crew. It was a fun time and a nice paycheck. It just felt like summer camp almost. Yeah. You because know? mm-hmm. it was just like, there's no way this is going to get another season. So let's just have fun. <laughs> and we sure did. Well, did it did it end because it wasn't working or did it end because of the pandemic or it ended because how was anyone supposed to make money doing a sketch comedy half hour radio program with people who are all very funny uh but not big names you know and well Meg Stelter is a bigger name now now, at the time that was like you know and and she was like Cola Scola for sure Cole Joe Firestone Maeve Higgins like there were lots of funny people on it who have good followings, but it's like, it's not, it's a sketch comedy podcast. Like, that's not, it, it just like, I don't know. It was, mm-hmm. to me, it was always doomed from the start, but it was actually funny and maybe the hardest I've ever laughed at a, at a job. Um, you ever. laughed more that, at that job than you did at uh, The Tonight Show with, starring Jimmy Fallon? Yeah, some somehow. Somehow, with Cola Skull and Joe Firestone as your boss versus Jimmy Fallon, there's just more laughs and fun to be had. But Joe has worked for Fallon. Is that when did you work at Fallon? Uh, last year. Oh, so during the pandemic? Mm, like post <laughs> Pandi- pandemic? Are, are we post pandemic? The, the hoax. <laughs> I'd say post hoax. So you worked there in 2022. Yeah, yeah. Did you feel like how did well how did you get in there? First off. Um, I submitted a packet. Had you submitted before? Um, so my friends, uh, Nick and Brad, Nick Sorelli and Brad Evans, Mm -hmm. a very funny sketch comedy duo and my dear friends. Um, but at the time we weren't, we weren't super close. They just like saw me at a show. I do, you know, the, the stamp town show, um, we've, which we've talked about. Zach Zucker's. Zach Zucker's. And stamp town is what's bringing you to 
Edinburgh. Yes, they're producing my my hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that show, I do this thing where I. Um, Zach asked me to one time, just like, do you want to just like live review the show? And I was like, sure, I can try. We'll see how good it goes, and it went great. So I just do that kind of like almost every time I do Stamp Town, I'm I'm reviewing. I'm like, can I do a set this time? He's like, no, watch the whole show. It's three and a half hours long. Be funny the whole time. I'm like, Zach, please. You have to provide running he commentary. Punching me in the face. <laughs> Zach, stop. I'll do it. Um, and and so one time I just I think I just that was probably the first time I met Nick and Brad was I was I reviewed them okay and uh, roasted the fuck out of them and then afterwards they were like very nice and and I, I was hanging out they're like if you ever want to we work at Fallon if uh, you want to apply I was like sure I'll try they sent me the packet this was like October 2021 mm-hmm. and which is like I had you know was now stand up was kind of like rocking and rolling. I you know I picked back up in May of 2021, and I was like feeling the groove and I'm feeling great about it. I was like, yeah, yeah, let me try for this packet, and I tried for like a day, and I was like, this sucks. I hate this shit. I was like trying to watch the show. I was trying to like write jokes. I was like, this sucks. Fuck this. This is no who like, wants two dollars and sixty nine cents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On Planet Scum. That's uh, which is what you were coming off of, which right? Is exactly. Very freeing, and like I can like write, and and I was just excited about stand up, and I was just like, yeah, sorry guys, I can't do it, and they're like, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's open, you know, door policy, whenever. It's like, okay. Then Omicron hits mm. in December of 2021. And that, to me, like, wipes some shit out. Like, it was like, oh, now my next month the gigs are gone. And I don't really have gigs on the horizon. I don't have agents at this time. I lost my, fired, fired, left, whatever. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of pandemic, so I didn't have agents. So I was like, oh, shit. I don't, and I'm running out of money, too. So I was like, now I definitely got to apply for that. <laughs> so I kind of just, like, do it in February of 2020. Two, I work really hard on it. Nick and Brad really helped me out, give me some notes. My friend Chloe Radcliffe used to work there, uh, also helps me out. Um, a couple other pals, uh, you know, I really work hard on this packet. Mm-hmm. And I send it out, and I don't hear anything back. And so just like, all right, well, that was like my last chance. I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I don't have money anymore. I need to find a job. But I don't have a college degree um, or relevant experience. So the job that I did have working for a moving company where I would answer emails and help schedule the moves, I can't, can't lift a box to save my life. But uh, I reached out to them. And they were like, oh, it's like really slow right now. They're also mad because during pandemic, they reached out to me. I'm like, no, nah, I'm on this sweet, sweet unemployment. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and so then they were like kind of mad. Uh, so I was like, okay. Because right. You didn't want to work. That was my, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was like doing, you know, the game show mm-hmm. thing. And I was just like, I don't need to go. If I go back now i'll have to i'll like be back for a long time i didn't want to it's not a good work environment but i was desperate for money to reach out there like it's slow right now there's not really money to be had i'm like fuck i need money now so i just started applying to the only thing i have had experience in in the past retail i so last year i got a job i applied for target because i used to work at target when i lived in austin mm-hmm. and they said no I was a blow Even to the, though you had Target on I was your a resume. Blow to the ego. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm less hireable now than when I was 19 years old. So what's it like to be rejected by Target but accepted by Jimmy Fallon? Well, it it it's surreal. <laughs> it it kind of makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> I ended up getting a job at Madame Tussauds Wax Museum on 42nd Street? Yeah, yeah. In Times Square. And I worked there for like a month or two. What was your job? I would work in, they had a, they had a little cafe. Cafe is a generous word for what it is. Mm-hmm. Basically a slushy cellar. I'd work at the gift shop. 
and I do this. These make the wax hands. Have you been there? Have you been to Madame Tussauds? No. Uh, apparently, they do this stuff at like fairs too, where they like dip you dip somebody's hand into some wax and they take it off, and it's like this like mold of your hand that doesn't really look like your hand, but it's the same size, I guess. Right. Um, so I would do that. Okay. Just hundreds of fucking little kids' hands just <laughs> dipping in wax, and they're just like they keep moving your hand. It's like stop it, stop moving your fucking hand. I'm miserable. I was going through a breakup. I had no money. I'm just like, maybe this is a sign of quick comedy. And then I had the feeling. I was like, you know what? I love it here. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to just put my head down. Mm-hmm. I cannot ask for time off to go and try to do gigs on the weekends. You know, keep keep grinding at stand-up. Just work here as much as I can. Save up some money. It's going to be hard. I'm going to go in debt, into debt, which I did for, for a little bit. And I'm just gonna like work really hard, and uh, and try. I'm committed. You know, I, I want to make this work. Literally, like I had a conversation. I was hanging out with Chris Gethard and then some other people at dinner, and I like told them that, and they're like, we're "Good, we're we're worried about you." But that's good to hear that you have a good perspective. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm feeling feeling all right." Four days later, I get an e- email that's like, "Hey, uh, do you want to do a job interview for Fallon?" I'm like, "Yeah, that'd be cool." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like nervous for the interview. I'm like, no, nah, there's no way it's going to work out. But mm-hmm. this is nice. At least this is a positive sign. And then basically the job interview was just like, so do you want this job? Will it work with your stand-up schedule? I'm like, yeah, I'll make it work somehow. Uh, yeah. So that was. Uh, Were you on monologues or sketches or sketch. or the games? I worked. I was hired. Yeah. A sketch. Sketch writer. And I think that's kind of what fucked me. But that was the position that was open. I think I would have been a great monologue writer. In fact, they had me write some monologue jokes, and I had a pretty good ratio. I, I, under, I know how to write jokes, but to, to pitch um, ideas mm-hmm. with all these beats and stuff and the way that Fallon, I, I, just, couldn't, I just couldn't latch on to that way of, of thinking. So did, were you just there for like one 13-week cycle? Or? Two. Two, okay. Two, but at the end of that one, they were like, we wanted to fire you after the first, but we thought, well, maybe he can figure <laughs> it out. And we're like, oh. So it was a lot different from the Viceland gig? Danny's house. Yeah, Danny's house. Ooh, I was just in D.C. this weekend, and somebody was like, "Oh, we saw that you uh, did something with Danny Brown, so that's why we came to the show." I'm like, "Oh wow, thank God I include that on my credit list." <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't, actually, weirdly enough, and this one I should—I'm going to be actually more careful with what I say, but um, a lot of things that happened, at, a lot of feelings I had at Fallon, I felt there too. Okay, and I will leave it at that. Mm. Okay. But Danny's really cool. And my friend Tom Cassidy was the head writer there, and he was cool. So, you know, as you prepare to go to Montreal and then the Fringe, and it's your first Fringe. Yes. So that's going to be a whole... First time performing overseas in any capacity. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, you know, a lot has changed in the six years since you went to Montreal and dealt with industry folks then. Yeah. Do you have a better sense now of what you want, what your goals are? 100%. I didn't realize anything. I, I have learned so much. I, I like tell people when they kind of ask for, like, you know, advice or whatever. Mm-hmm. Man, I love giving unsolicited advice. But when they ask for it, it's, it's perfect. Um, I should have had other stuff. They kept being like, oh, we like that five minutes of stand-up. What else do you have? And I was like, those five minutes of stand-up, weren't they good, though, right? <laughs> They're like, oh, so I should have had like a, uh, you know, if I had a script, if mm-hmm. I had like a show idea I was really passionate about. Now I have all these things, but at the time, or like a 
go and do every single audition and like really take an acting class and do that or like you know something and I just didn't have any of that I, and I didn't know and they're like okay we'll keep in touch but you know you have the heat you gotta use it because it goes away how, how much of this new passion for it is because it did go away because you did have that period where I think it's you're good. dealing with kids dipping their hands in wax that going, was a very humbling moment a very going a this very, is what my life moment. could be yeah and I was on Kimmel <laughs> yeah oh yeah 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 <laughs> And I had lots of good opportunities since then. Honestly, like when 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 pandemic hit, I was like, when the hoax hit, I was like, uh, "Wow, I feel bad. I'm, I feel like a loser." Mm-hmm. Um, and then I lo- I had to do my taxes, and I looked at the tax returns from like the years before. I'm like, "Oh, there was actually an upwards increase," and it probably would have kept going that way, you know. But then this shit kind of like reset everything, so that was like at least good to be like, "Okay, I'm not completely a fuck up." Like I was like, right. things were going positively. It just you know, who could have predicted this. And, and I made some choices that, you know, my bad. Or just didn't do some things. And as we've discussed, there's always the chance that you could just radicalize Martin Urbano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see. You could sell out. and This is going to be... And the comeback tour could lead to a true comeback for This will be interesting to hear in, like, two months. Because in two months, I'm going to know everything I need to know. Mm-hmm. About will I continue doing stand-up comedy? <laughs> if Fringe goes bad, I might quit. I'm going to retire like Hannah Gatsby. <laughs> you talk about an apology. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little look. I'm Pablo Matic. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how far do you, how far do you think you can take? Your, the current iteration of your comedy. Exactly, I'm saying it, it'll. Could it be like Andrew on, Dice Clay? Where it, no, 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 no. I've already. I've and I've talked about it with people. It's like, I feel like this character is just like so. I'm so over it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not over it because I like. I like what it is, but it's just so hard to like go to shows where people are expecting just like, oh, are you two dating? Oh yeah. Oh man. You know, here's the thing about women and like. You know when you're having sex and you the, the thing and the and I'm like and then I come up and I'm like you know do my do my shtick, um, and then I just see people in the crowd just hate it. People, especially when it's people who I think would agree with me and like we would like get along in person and they just like hate what I'm doing and I'm like I'm trying to drip it in as much sarcasm and irony and you know make it as clear as possible and you're still hating it or maybe they 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 get it like we get it we just don't like it and like all that is just so uh it hurts my feelings <laughs> so if it if it is well received mm-hmm. in like an artsy festival that would feel great That'll be a little validating to what I've been doing. And if it doesn't go well there, then I'm like, well, I was working really hard on this thing that maybe uh, let's just, you know, tape it, put it out there. Five people will watch it. And then I uh, uh, move on to the next thing. Yeah. So either way, in two months, it will be rather interesting to exactly to check back in with you. Exactly. <laughs> well, I look forward to checking back in with you. Yeah, then. let's do it. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> Thanks. 
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showburst Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.